Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning, North Bible Church. My name is Adam Knight. I'm a pastor of uh, student ministry here at North. And let's see if my water bottle is going to fall over. I guess not. We're good to go. Um, on behalf of, of my family, on behalf of the staff here at at North, want to wish you a very Merry Christmas this year. And uh, I love that video. I love just seeing the different families tell the Christmas story together. And as a church, we are trying to figure out what can we do to help our families win this Christmas. Maybe you guys don't have a specific family tradition. Um, and so we came up with an idea to give you guys a gift. If you've got a family, if you've got kids at home or grandparents, you've got grandkids and you want to participate, we've got a gift for you today when you walk out the door. It's a really cool little ornament and uh, a paper with some selected readings from the scripture and uh, just another way that you guys um, can celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? Three days away, guys. Like Jay said, it is right around the corner and uh, man... It really did sneak up on me as well. I mean, Jay mentioned that it snuck up on him. You got that text from Michaels. I think I need you to forward me that information, all right, because only a couple days of shopping left. <laughs> you think about, like, just the how hectic this season can get, this month can get, and things start piling up, and then all of a sudden it culminates kind of with this, this last little uh, push before Christmas Day, right? Think about all the different things that have been vying for your attention this week. Maybe it was Christmas shopping, and if you already got, you know, knocked that out, good for you. Congratulations. Well done. Maybe you're hosting family Christmas this year, and you're trying to plan through what tables are going to go where, what dishes do we need to prepare, and all those kind of things. And that can kind of take up a lot of bandwidth in our, in our brain as we try to prepare for Christmas. Um, there's been a lot of other things that distract us this time of year. Maybe a certain movie came out last week that you've been thinking a lot of, right? Cats. Oh, yeah, no one's seeing cats. Yeah, it was Star Wars, right? A lot of people are trying to figure out how are they going to end the, you know, the third uh, trilogy, the saga and everything. And so I don't know if that crossed your mind all week. A lot of things happening in the sports world, right? Um, college football, bowl season is upon us, basketball started, uh, a lot of great things happening. There was something going on with an impeachment this week. I mean, that was a pretty big deal that I think a lot of people were kind of obsessed, like your TV was kind of tuned in all week trying to figure out what's going to happen here. And it's really, you know, it's a, it's a distraction as we lead up to this, this time of year. Maybe, maybe you're in a place in life right now where you want those distractions, right? This has been a tough year for you. You're, you're looking down the barrel of, of the first Christmas without that loved one or, or apart from your family or, you know, you, maybe you spent the week in the hospital uh, with a loved one and it's been a really difficult week. I recognize that and I know that there are some times where we want these distractions, but, but life just kind of keeps piling things on, right? If you were here last Sunday, I know the question that's been at the forefront of your attention all week long, you saw how Wes kind of threw me under the bus, made fun of my beard, and uh, 
was really shocked by that. I'd never heard anything negative about my beard before. And so you've been wondering all week, how's Adam going to respond? How's he going to clap back to Wes and get even with him, right? I know you've been thinking that. Uh, Have I been thinking that? We'll see. (laughs) No, actually, uh, are you ready for my response to Wes? You guys ready? All right. I'm not going to respond to Wes today, all right? I'm not. It's Christmas, you guys. Thank you. Yes. And which leads us right into our Advent theme of the week, which is love. Yes, I do love Wes, and I do love Jesus, and I don't want to say anything up here that I'm going to end up regretting. So moving right along into love, right? All these things that we've considered throughout the week as distractions, all these different planning and preparation and other things that are kind of elbowing other things out of the way for bandwidth, what we want to do as a church, as a body of believers, is to focus our attention, even in spite of the distractions, on the reason for the season, right? The fact that uh, our Savior has been born, Jesus. And that's what Advent is all about. In fact, we join with Christians all around the globe celebrating this season of Advent leading up to Christmas Day. And here at North, I would even venture to say we've been preparing for this, for Christmas, uh, for this moment, even going as far back as September when Jay kicked off the series that was called True North. Remember, he was talking about how we as North Bible Church were called to be God's true people, living out the true mission of our true king, which is Jesus. And then Right after that, we went into a series throughout the book of Esther. It was entitled Hidden Kingdom, Present King, where we got to see the workings, the sovereignty of God, even behind the scenes. Even though he wasn't mentioned, the word God was not mentioned in the book of Esther, we know that he was still moving, still working behind the scenes. And all of that culminates here at Christmas. You know, Wes said last week that Advent, is a season of anticipation. And it's almost, uh, we we have to have a um, kind of a two-track mind when it comes to celebrating Advent because there's two different pieces of it. One, we look back and we remember and we celebrate the first coming of Jesus as an infant, as a human into our world in the Christmas story. But secondly, we look forward. We anticipate, we prepare our hearts And we prepare our lives for the second coming of Jesus, whenever that may be. And as a church, we've we've focused throughout the Advent season on these themes of, of Advent, these things that our true king brings to us, themes like hope and joy and faith. And today we are going to focus in on how our true king brings us love. This word love, probably one of the most overused words in our English language, right? I mean, you think of all the different things that you consider that you love and how, how many of those things actually fit that definition. Do you actually love those things, right? And so for the purpose of our conversation today, I want to look at love defined by self-giving for the benefit of others, Right? This is something that obviously in the Christmas story, God demonstrates his love for us. Self-giving for the benefit of others. How do you love other people? 
I was thinking about this past week when Kayla called me one day, and I was at home working on this, you know, all this important work of, of sermon prep, right? And Kayla had a request. She, she needed some of my expertise, my help, and I responded not in love. Um, I, you know, I did what she wanted me to do. It, it was just like this chore on her computer, but I did it begrudgingly. I did it with you know, selfish motives, and it definitely wasn't out of love. It wasn't self-giving for the benefit of others. It was just, I'm going to get this over with so that, uh, you know, I can get on with my day and be done with this, right? And so where does love fit in your life? How do you love people? How do you love God? And actually, the questions that we're going to focus on specifically today have to do with this. If God is our true king, how does he give us love in the same way that he can give us hope, he can give us joy, he can give us faith, these things that we celebrate in Advent. And also, what is our response to that love? How do we respond knowing the great, amazing love that God has for us? And so as I was studying this week, I was praying and trying to figure out what passage are we going to focus in on this week, and I was drawn specifically to one passage way more than any other passages, and as I studied, I think, in my humble estimation, that this passage has to say more about love than any other passage in Scripture, and I know there's a lot of passages out there, right, that talk about love. The Sermon on the Mount talks about love. Song of Songs talks about love. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about love. But this passage, far and away, you know, talks about love more than any of those. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Can anyone guess? Don't look in your bulletins and cheat, you guys. Just shout it out. It's got to be John. 1 John chapter 4, that's very good. 1 John chapter 4, this passage emphasizes how much God loves you and me. And then it also talks about, as a result of that, how we are called to be stewards of that love. And so I want to dive into this passage. I want to show you how much this passage talks about love. And then we'll, we'll dig in. So 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Verse 18, coming down the home stretch here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, uh uh-oh, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so you can see here how this passage gives 1 Corinthians 13 a run for its money when it's talking about love, right? Fifteen verses in this passage. And this, uh, this passage uses the word love 29 times. I, I've kind of zoomed out here. I've made the font a little bit smaller so I can fit it all on one screen here. I've put the words that deal with love in red. And uh, look at this. This is, this is a minefield, this is a minefield of love, right? It's like you can't step anywhere in this passage without hitting love somewhere in some way, shape, or form. And uh, in comparison, when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, that has 13 verses. Does anyone want to guess how many times it mentions the word love? Anyone want to take a stab? Nobody wants to take a stab. That's okay. I kind of set you up for that. I'm not going to make a make a you know, guess and look foolish. No, all right, I'll tell you. Nine times. Nine times in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. In 1 John chapter 4, 29 times. And so, folks, I'm here today to tell you we have a new love chapter. Sorry, I don't make the rules. This is just how it goes. It's 1 John chapter 4. Little context about this passage, okay? This is obviously a part of a greater book, 1 John. It's a letter, and like most letters, they're intended to be read. The recipients for this passage, for this book, aren't specified in the letter. Like many times in the New Testament, when Paul writes a letter to the Ephesians, for example, he says, to the saints in Ephesus. Or when he's writing to the Romans, he says, to the church of God in Rome. So we know who the recipients are. This passage does not have a specific set of readers. And scholars believe it was intended to be circulated among all the churches at the time because this wasn't just for one city, one group of people. This was for all believers. Surprisingly, this letter is also written anonymously. It's written anonymously. It's not like the author signed his name at the end, like warmest regards, John, or, you know, like in Paul's letters, he starts off, you know, in a Paul, an apostle. First John doesn't have that, um, anyone writing that this is from me, this is from John, but guess what? Scholars believe that it was written by John. Yes, that was good. That one was a little bit, more of a risk, almost. Seems so obvious. Scholars believe it was written by John because the language that it uses 
and I don't mean like the Greek or whatever, like that language. I mean like the words, the phrases. That language matches so perfectly with the Gospel of John, which was signed. It talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. And second and third John, these other letters that John the Elder wrote, because, of, because the language matches so well, most scholars believe that 1 John was in fact written by the disciple John. And so why was this letter written? John kind of outlived a lot of the other disciples. Many of the disciples were persecuted, were martyred, uh, died at an early age, and, and John lives into old age. He's exiled into Patmos, and, um, and he's, he becomes called John the Elder. And so over the course of time, after Jesus had walked on this earth and died and rose again and ascended into heaven, you know, as time passed, there began to be teachings within the church that, be, that became false teachings, that people who weren't around in the time of Jesus, maybe new believers or people who weren't from that specific area, they didn't have the witnesses, they began to teach things about Jesus that simply were not true. And John is writing this letter saying, hey, I was there. I, I am a witness. I was, I was on the boats when Jesus performed these miracles. I was on the mountainsides when Jesus was preaching these amazing messages. I was at the cross I was there for the resurrection, and I saw people touching Jesus' nail-scarred hands. And John's writing against these false teachings, specifically by people called the Gnostics. These people were obsessed with the pursuit of knowledge and truth. And in the Gnostics' perspective, the physical world was evil. So your body or matter or anything uh, material was corrupted, but knowledge is spiritual, and, and spiritual things are divine and pure. So they, they sought after knowledge. And in fact, if this is what they believed, then the Christmas story, Jesus Christ leaving heaven and becoming man, still fully God but fully man at the same time, doesn't jive with, with this perspective. Why would, why would God take on an evil body? Why would God take on a corrupted physical form? And so through the Gnostic belief, there's no need for Jesus the Savior who died on a cross for our sins. Jesus who, who being fully human knows our trials, knows our temptations, and still lived a perfect life. And his death on the cross and resurrection wins us forgiveness of our sins and victory over death. The Gnostics thought Jesus was just merely a teacher. And yeah, he may, maybe he, he was a spirit that maybe inhabited some sort of a body, maybe as like a host or a shell or something like that. But he was only coming to bring knowledge of salvation. And the cross was unnecessary. And so when John's writing this letter to combat against heresy, to fight against false teachings in this, in this war. What is his weapon? And that's where we see this minefield of love get deployed. Love is his weapon. Because love is the Christmas story. Love is the story of Jesus 
being born into humanity. How many times in this passage, in 1 John chapter 4, does John, and in other passages, talk about God sent his son, Jesus. God sent Jesus to give us life for the forgiveness of sins, to be the Savior. And it's because of this person, fully God, fully human Jesus, that we can be saved. Our true king, in all of his royalty, descended in humility and lives his life in love. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning, the love of our true king, the love of the king. When you read a passage like 1 John chapter 4, it would be so easy to zoom past the love of God and kind of focus on the love that he's calling us to have for other people, right? It's what we want to put on our to-do list. How does this apply to me? If you remember back in September, in the True North series, Pastor Jay talked about True North is this navigational term where we deliberately set our fixed reference point at True North. And for the church, our fixed reference point is Jesus Christ. If we skip past him and focus on all the other things, we're missing the point. So let's look at all this way, all, all the ways this passage describes God's love. Number one, God is the source of love. In verse 7, John writes, For love is from God. Verse 8, he says, God is, in fact, love. God is the source of love. God is love. That is an amazing statement about God. And it would be easy to think like, God is a loving God. That is a quality about his personality or his character, but that's not what John is saying here. John is saying that love is so wrapped up in his essence, in his being, in his personhood. It's not just some add-on. Like you go to the Mac store and you want a MacBook with extra RAM or storage or whatever it is. Like it's not an add-on feature to God. Love is the defining, the core quality of our king. We can't even know God apart from his love. And if God is the source of our, our love, that means that it is only through him that you and I have the capacity to love one another. Number two, God is the model of love. God models this. God exemplifies this. How? Through the sending of his son, that is the, the self-giving, sacrificial act for the benefit of others that we're looking at here. Verse 9, it says uh, that God sent his only son in the world. In verse 10, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, the, to be the propitiation for our sins. And John uses this term, like the incarnation and like that God sent, God, uh, John uses that term more than any other way to describe the coming of Christ into our world, that, that it was God who sent him. And when you read verse 9, we see it as out of pure love that God sent Jesus into this world. And verse 9 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son 
into the world so that we might live through him. I mean, this verse is a reflection of John 3.16, is it not? It, it talks about the love of God and who is the recipient of that love and why. It's a model of sacrificial love, and Jesus sacrificed everything to enter into humanity. He was born in a cave, in a, in a manger, in the messiness of, of human relationships, in the messiness of the Roman Empire. And he, he lived a sinless life, a perfect life. And he died a death on a cross that was brutal. And what was the reason? So that we can have life. Verse 10 talks about uh, propitiation, the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. Propitiation means the turning away of anger by the offering of a gift. And what a gift that is in Jesus. That God is the model of love. Number three, God is the upholder of love. What do I mean by God is the upholder of love? In verses 15 through 17, we see a lot of language talking about how we are called to abide in love. And if we abide in love, that means we're abiding in God and God is abiding in us. I mean, that's a promise that we're given in Scripture, that we're joined together through our love. But it also talks about how perfect love casts out fear and we can be confident because of the love that God has for us, that no matter what you are facing, no matter what news hit you this week, no matter how your relationships look, no matter how your job status looks, no matter how well you feel like you are parenting or kids, how well you feel like you are obeying your parents, no matter what's going on in your life, that you do not have to fear because of God's love for you. I mean, this is a huge blessing to, to me personally. We think about perfect love casts out fear. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid of my circumstances. I don't have to be afraid of judgment before God. I don't have to be afraid of, did I sin too much? Did I sin too little? No, you don't sin too little. Uh, but I don't have to be afraid of any of that. And there are times in my life I, I've wrestled with, I've battled with panic attacks uh, for a good portion of my life. And you know what helps me get through those moments of, of anxiety, just um, absolute fear, is remembering that I'm in the presence of God. I sing worship songs. I say, God is with me. God loves me. There's nothing that I can do that can change that. And God brings me a peace that I can't explain. God is the upholder of love. It's, it's a promise. It's a guarantee. It's, it's written in Sharpie. It's written in stone. And nothing's going to erase that. I'm so grateful for that. Number four, God is the perfecter of love. Much like Hebrews talks about God is the perfecter of our faith. God is the perfecter of our love. He is the one that brings our love for him and for other people into fullness and into maturity. It's this idea of we're trying to get better. We're, we're taking steps of growth. We're taking steps in love and in faith. And God is perfecting our love. 
John Stott says, God's love, which originates in himself and was manifested in his son, is perfected in his people. And so this is an encouragement as well that when you take some missteps, when you're trying to love the people around you, when you mess up, when you fail and fall short, that God is still perfecting your love and there is hope that you keep going, you keep pushing through and God is working that out. God is perfecting our love. Number five, God is the initiator of love. Verse 19 says, Clearly and simply, we love because he first loved us. Every act of God in our world is an act of love. Every single thing that he has done, creation, an act of love. Adam and Eve sinned and God forgives them and covers them of their shame and that is an act of love. The covenants that God gives to his people, acts of love. Sending Jesus in the incarnation is an act of love. The resurrection, an act of love. And Romans 5.8 says it a little bit differently. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is the initiator of love. He's not waiting for you to clean up your act. He's not waiting for you to meet a threshold of a certain level of purity He's not waiting for you to to stop messing up that attempt of loving people time and time again. He's not waiting for any of that. He made the first move. He is the initiator of love. And we can come to him no matter where we're at in life. that That is the love of a true king right there. As I think about going through the book of Esther and talking about King Xerxes and all the other human kings that we have seen in history, none of them measure up to this. None of them can meet the standards only in our true King, Jesus Christ. And so knowing all of this, what is, what is our response now? How do we worship God if, if we're responding to his love? And there are a couple commands, imperatives in this, in this verse, in this chapter So let's look at a couple of them. First is to abide in God. Abide in God. Abide in his love. Verses 16 and 17 kind of repeats itself a lot. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. When we abide in God, he abides in us. We are joined together. All the promises that, that God has given to us are yes through Jesus. So maybe in this room there's people who It's been a while since we've actually done this. We've actually sat and processed through the love that God has for you. It's something we learned at an early age, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. 
But how often do we stop and remember that and process that and be grateful for that and abide in that love? That love gives us confidence. That love gives us knowledge. And so today I want to challenge you to be a a lover of God's presence. As a church, you know, we're called to love other people, and, and I know you guys do a great job of loving the people around you and pouring out love to people, but first of all, first and foremost, we're called to be poured into from our Heavenly Father. Abide in God's love. Number two, love one another. This is the imperative that's in this passage, the command that's in this passage numerous times. Love one another. And I'm not going to sit up here and give you like an A, B, C. These are the exact things that you have to do to love the people around you. I just want to ask you, how are you being a steward of God's love? We're called to be a, a steward. A steward means it's someone who manages something on someone else's behalf. And if you've ever been a babysitter, you've been a steward. Because you are managing, you are watching children on behalf of mom and dad. And that's a pretty important job, right? You want to make sure that the person, uh, the parents are pleased. Uh, maybe you're a financial like investor, like you are a steward for people's financial portfolios. Maybe you've just been at a coffee shop one time and someone was like, hey, can you wash my bags while I go to the bathroom. (laughs) You are a steward, even if it was just for a short period of time. You are managing something on someone else's behalf. When it comes to God's love, God has entrusted his love to you, and you are a steward of God's love. How are you stewarding that? Maybe as a babysitter, you've learned some lessons. I know as a as a dog sitter and as a, a house sitter, I've learned some lessons along the way. Like when I was a teenager, I get, got asked to watch people's houses all the time. And, you know, one time a fish died. And I felt really bad about it because I forgot to feed it, right? But I learned and I kept growing and I knew that, you know, I'm growing in this stewardship process. I, this is something that I'm going to get better at next time. I'm going to remember next time. I'm going to try harder next time. And that's the perfection process that that God does in our life. When you mess up in loving one another, you don't just call it quits and say, I'm out. But you keep trying again and again. And God is perfecting his love through you in the process. How are you stewarding that love? Because when you view love as something that God is entrusting into your care, Everything changes. You know, this passage even talks about how knowledge goes hand in hand with love, right? Verse 7 and 8 kind of give you the, uh, the positive and, and negative side of, of the language where whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. And this is a great challenge for, for all of us, whether you've been a Christian in here for five days or five decades. Sometimes we get so caught up with pursuing knowledge of God, which is a good thing. But when it's at the expense of loving the people around us, then it becomes scandalous, hypocritical, 
That's why people walk away from the church when you're so caught up with knowledge that you put love on the back burner. I think that's what was happening with the Gnostics of, of John's era. They were so caught up in, in the knowledge, the secret knowledge that they wanted to find and they weren't really caring for the people around them. This passage says, if you don't love others, you do not love God. That's, that's hard to process. I come up with excuses when, when people are hard to love, when they're difficult to love. It's like, God, I've, I've tried. I've tried my hardest to love this person, or I just don't know how to love this person right now. I don't know what they're going through. God, I don't think it's worth it anymore to love this person. Those are my excuses, and at the end of the day, I thank God that he doesn't say that about me. His love is unconditional. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm dealing with, that God loves me. We're called to steward that love and share it with the people around us. And so how are you being a steward of that love? I don't have, you know, an exact prescription for you, um, you know, a, a formula for you to go out into this world and do A, B, or C. But I know it starts with action. I know it, it starts with an expression, an outer expression, self-giving on someone else's behalf for someone else's benefit. So let's put some action into our love. There's an author out there that I love right now. Love, sorry. There's an action I uh, appreciate respect. His name is Bob Goff. He's written a couple books, but he talks about love in, in the same way that, you know, we talk about diets and workout plans where it's so easy to plan those things and talk about those things, but how often do we carry out that plan? Like how often does our walk back up our talk, right? I don't know anything about that. I'm really good at workout plans and stuff like that. I'm not. But anyways, that's the call for us. In love, there's an action. Let's stop talking about it. Start doing it. And so I want to bring the band up uh, for one more song here. We're going to respond to this passage. When you read a passage like this, there's a pretty simple litmus test. How well do you know God? The answer is how well are you loving the people around you? And so there's a couple responses that you can have this morning. As the band comes up, I want to invite the prayer partners to come up as well. These prayer partners are great examples of loving one another. These are people who sacrifice for other people's benefit. They're people who are available. They're ready to spring into action. They're faithful. And so maybe... God has placed someone on your heart. Maybe the past couple weeks here at North, we've been thinking about people to pray about, and there's a relationship that you have, and you need more prayer for that. It's an ongoing process. I want to invite you to come forward and pray with our prayer partners. They're off here in the front and to the side. Receive some prayer. Our, our partners will be glad to pray over you and over your relationships and encouraging you to love others the way that God loves us. Another response 
that would be totally appropriate in this moment is just responding in worship. As the band plays, sit in silence, stand and shout, reflect and abide in God's love for you. That the king of all creation, almighty God, loves you so much, more than, more than we can comprehend. And how that can wipe away our fear, wipe away our doubts, and give us peace, and give us hope. And God, that is our prayer this morning. Would you meet us here today? Fill us with your, with your love, fill us with your spirit Renew us, heal us, and overflow us so that we can share that. We can be a good steward of your love with the people in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. That your love is meant to be shared. So we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Amen. Praise God. In another place in the scripture, John writes, John 13, 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so that might get tested here in the next 10 minutes. might get tested this week, celebrating Christmas with loved ones. But this is our call. To receive the love, the great, amazing love that God has for us, and to steward that and share that with the people around us. So I pray for you this week to have those opportunities to show God's love to people, even when it's difficult and challenging. We keep trying, we keep going out of obedience for Him. Hope to see you guys back here on Tuesday night for our Christmas Eve services. I love you guys. God loves you. Have a Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.